Hey everyone, I want to take a moment and thank you so much to all of you who have been downloading and listening to these podcasts. Recently, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and he said, hey, I want to be part of the ministry that you are doing and I want to financially support you. So I told him that for the last four years, I've been paying to host this podcast online. So he decided that he will pay for a year worth of podcast hosting. This nice gesture made me think maybe there are more people that would like to partner up with me in ministry. Oftentimes when and um, asked to minister at some church. A lot of the churches don't have enough money to cover my travel, my time that I took off of work, and the expenses that come with being in a different state. So I created a fund where all the proceeds that come into this fund from the online platforms will be used towards ministry, be it travel expenses or podcast production, or creating any other form of ministry content. You can give through the link in the show notes. However, if you cannot support me financially, I encourage you to pray and if you can rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much again and God bless. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to read rather from Philemon, Philemon chapter 1. And uh, we're actually going to read the whole book because it's one chapter and it's 20 verses. Uh, so uh, it's a small book and uh, we're going to read it and then we're going to pray. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. And uh, just follow along with me. This is Paul writing to his, uh, his partner in the Lord named Philemon. He says this, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apia, and si- our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have Uh, derived much joy, comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and prisoner of Christ, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. Now, he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep, you, uh, keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred, not to, do, uh, preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. 
If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, I charge you, or I charge, uh, he actually says, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owning me, even your own selves. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do everything more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Just a quick prayer for the sermon. Lord Jesus, I thank you that, you know, that you're in this place, Lord. You said where there's two or three gathered, you will be there with us. Lord, I pray right now that you open up every single heart to receive your word. Father, I pray that we would be transformed by the power of your love to understand the gospel, to understand, Father, how you loved us and changed us and transformed us. Lord, I pray for your people. I pray that you raise up a generation filled of evangelists and pastors and people who are passionate for the gospel, people who stand on the truth and the promises that you've given us, Lord, that don't waver in their walk following after you and don't go after the world but constantly pursuing you. Lord, I thank you and I ask you, bless and give me clarity of mind and thought. And my Jesus, I pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, that was, that was a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I wanted to do this whole chapter to give you a little bit of context of what Paul is doing. He's appealing to his friend Philemon, which li lives in the city of Colossae, where we know the book of Colossians. I remember growing up, if you happen to be the youngest child in your, in your family, you, there's a special favor on you because you're always the baby. If you're the, the youngest child in your household, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're the oldest, there's a special kind of favor because you're the oldest. Your parents are always, yeah, that's, that's our firstborn. You know, he's, he's just our first. You know, he's... But then if you happen to be in the middle, statistically speaking, you always try to overachieve because you're trying to prove to others that you can be better. And I feel so sorry for you. <laughs> because you always try to outdo yourself because you want to say that, hey, I'm worth loving too. You can disagree with me, but that's statistics for you. The middle children are always stuck in in the middle, and I remember how I would manipulate the whole situation. Now, of course, Jesus has changed my heart, but at that point, I didn't understand it, and I want a specific toy, and I'd tell Alex, my older brother, which happens to be in the middle, I'm like, bro, I, I just, that's mine, and I'd just throw a fit, and my mom would be the great, gracious mediator, right? Like, Alex, just give him the toy, man. But why? Because he's younger than you, and he doesn't understand, but I understood. And this is how you get your way. So kids stuck in the middle are always, they're getting the abuse from the older, and they're always having to take care of the younger. They're not in a good spot, is what I'm trying to say. Roberto Alex and me, we got hungry one time, and we found this can of sardines. Yeah, we were poor, so. Um, and we decided to cut it open. We didn't cut it all the way, and I was so I was so hungry that I put my finger right in right away, and it got stuck, and I couldn't pull it out. And 
for the longest time, we're trying everything, and my, 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 my finger is just lodged in there. And then my brother has this great idea to put his finger in. <laughs> and that gave me just enough relief to pull my finger out. My finger was fine. And I found, you know, joy in my newfound freedom. But I looked at my brother's face, and I could see agony. And I realized, that's a problem, because I'm not putting my finger back in. And then after a while, he just yanked it out and got this huge gash on his finger. That's what happens when you try to put yourself in the middle and mediate the danger. It happens all the time if you're in church and you're stuck between two friends of yours who, having, who are having an argument. They tell you what they think. They tell you what they think. And at some point, I guarantee you, they'll think you're the problem. And they're mad at you, and this party's mad at you. That is the, re the reward that you get for trying to mediate a kind of broken situation. And I'm telling you that because to mediate a problem, a lot of times, if you put yourself to shield or to, to bring some common sense and you put yourself in the middle, if you're stuck in the middle, a lot of times the wrath that was coming to the other party comes your way. And this is what's happening kind of here with Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. And as he is in prison, he meets this, this guy who he just led to the Lord. His name is Onesimus. And as he's talking to Onesimus, he finds out that Onesimus is actually a runaway slave. And guess who the master is? Philemon. Philemon is a church leader. And Apostle Paul led him to the Lord some years prior. And then he realizes, yes, I could just be quiet about this, but this is not right. Philemon needs to know that he's a runaway slave. Now, the Bible kind of gives us some clues. It seems like Onesimus has really wronged his master. If you wonder what a bondservant is, it's kind of like a slave. However, it's a slavery sort of by choice. It's a person who was not paying their debts, and they sold themselves into slavery. And Apostle Paul kind of alludes to, in this letter, to this idea that Onesimus might have wronged Philemon by stealing something from him. So now he finds himself in jail, and this kid who just came to the Lord tells him that actually I'm a runaway from the city of Colossae, and uh, my master's name is Philemon. And Paul says, wait a second, I know Philemon. He's my brother in the Lord. He's my partner. He's my co-laborer in Christ. This is, this is not right. Now, I have a right, because I led Philemon to the Lord, to keep you here. I am his spiritual father, but I can't do that. And that's why he writes to Philemon, says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you. So Apostle Paul says, I could just command you to do this, to do what is required. Yet for, your, for, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Philemon, I'm asking you says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of all, of also of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. And that's a play on words because 
The name Onesimus means helpful, useful. But he just didn't live up to his name, and he ran away from his master. So Apostle Paul writes to Philemon and says, that slave, you know, useful, who's not very useful to you, came to Christ. Right? He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. He says, Onesimus is a good kid. He's actually a brother to me in Christ. I'm sending him to you. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on behalf of you during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be out of compulsion. He says, look, I can force your hand, but I don't want to do that. I want you, if you're to ever send Onesimus back to me, is because of your goodness. I'm not trying to manipulate the circumstances here. Right? Not out of compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you. And he says, you know, Philemon, can't you see the plan of God? Maybe this is the reason why he ran away from you, that he might actually encounter Jesus. Because a good thing has happened. He's given his life to the Lord. And because of that, now he's a different person. He used to be useless, but now he's useful to me and to you. Right? No longer as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. Do you understand what Paul is asking here? First of all, if I told you, well, Paul actually wrote this nice letter to a slave, to, to, his, master, to his master, on behalf of his slave, to accept his slave back. Right? You're like, well, that's nice. But put this in perspective. If you're familiar with Paul, Paul, his name used to be Saul. And Saul used to be the combination of Taliban and ISIS. He was going from house to house with a murderous spirit, dragging Christians out of the house and murdering them. Paul is not a good guy before he meets Jesus. And he's thinking he's doing a, a good thing. He's blaming Christians or followers of the way for every single ill in society. And when we see the stoning of Stephen, right, Paul is the one who's giving order for Stephen to be stoned. Paul, before encountering Jesus, was not a good guy. He was the likes of ISIS and Taliban. On his murderous spree, when killing Christians, and then one day when he's going to Damascus to do what? To kill more Christians, he encounters the Lord drastically. And he's blinded and hears a voice and says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? Lord, I'm Jesus. And now the same person who is the elite of his day, who is the philosopher and the theologian and the guy in charge is blind. And now he's relying on the very Christians who he was murdering to come pray for him that he might receive his sight. And some years removed from that, now he's an old man, and now he's standing in prison, writing a letter on behalf of a slave. Like, seriously. You went from the top of your society. What changed, Paul? You know what changed? The kind of spirit he was indwelt by. If you know anything about Satan, Satan likes to tempt you, tempt you and accuse you. Before he encountered Jesus, 
Saul had the, the Satan, of, uh, the, the, the spirit of the enemy. And he'd go around and start accusing person after person, you're what's wrong with our society. You know, kind of like what we do now in our modern day politics. It's the immigrants that's, problem, that, that's the problem with the United States, you know? The guys who are trying to feed their family and they sit at Home Depot with no social security. Of course, this is not a political thing. I'm just trying to, he goes from being accusatory to everyone around you, around him rather, to radically being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he's writing, now he's defending, now he has the spirit of an advocate, of a mediator, of a person stuck in the middle who's sticking out his neck for a slave. Now slaves in that day, they were not very free people. Even if you ran away, you had no identity because people could find out pretty quickly that you're a runaway slave. And they knew that. And if you run away, you could be punished. You were, you were property to the point you, you, you could be killed. And it's like, Paul, like, don't you have better things to do than write letters of recommendation on behalf of slaves? But that's what happens when a person is radically transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm amazed, right, what he writes next. And verse 17 says this, So if you consider me your partner, receive me as you would receive, uh, receive him as you receive me. Wait, do you understand what he's asking here? He's not asking, Philemon, would you just forgive him? Just forgive him, Philemon. Okay, all right, let it go. No, he's asking to forgive him and then go above and beyond and accept him back not as a slave, but as a brother. Now, you have brothers. They're part of what's called a family. <laughs> that would upset the whole order of the family. You're accepting a slave into the family? When he has stolen from you, he's run away from you, Right? So if you consider me your partner, the word there is koinonia in Greek, right? Like, receive him as you would receive me. Paul is using his influence to advocate for someone who in that, in that society is not worth very much. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul, what do you have? You're a tent maker. Charge that to your account? What if, what if Onesimus... Debt is so grand that like you can't even pay it off. Paul, no, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owning me, even your own selves. So he reminds him, you know, I laid it to Christ. But then he goes on, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. But Paul is asking him, Philemon is to show Onesimus grace. Now, I don't know what your idea of grace is, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a sort of an illustration of what grace means, and hopefully that'll bring some clarity. If you are driving down the I-5, and you are speeding, and you get pulled over, and you get a $600 ticket, that's because it's called justice. You committed the crime, you pay the ticket. Or you do the crime, you do the time, right? Be it at work or in prison. Now, if the same police officer came to you and said, you know what, you broke the law, I'm supposed to give you a $600 ticket, 
But I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to pay your $600 ticket. That's called mercy. Mercy is to have someone else pay your debt. Oh, but when he gets to grace, he gets a lot better. Imagine you are driving, you're breaking the law, and the police officer says, hey, I'm supposed to give you a $600 ticket, I'm going to pay it. But I'm also going to give you $600. That would be an amazing police officer. Right? So that's what Apostle Paul is doing. Hey, I want you to forgive Philemon, but not only that, go a step further and accept him into your household as a brother and a partner in Christ. And it's interesting because in this whole book, it's, you know, 20-some uh, verses long, and he doesn't really say much about who Jesus is and how the gospel works and how the cross works. He doesn't go into any details because he doesn't have to. Why? Because he is showing it with his own life. What Paul is doing here is he's demonstrating gospel, what Jesus has done for all of us. We were sinners. You know, a lot of people say things like, especially preachers, they're like, you know, God is not mad at you. I'm here today to tell you that God is mad at you. His wrath is against you unless you're in Christ Jesus. You see, God's justice needs to be satisfied. God doesn't let things go. Someone has to pay for your sin, and that's what happened on the cross of Calvary. Jesus paid for your sin not only that, but he not only forgave you of your sin and paid your $600 ticket, he went above and beyond and gave you life and life eternal. That is grace. That is the amazing news of the good news of the gospel. That is the amazing thing about the Lord and Savior that we serve. And the blood of Jesus shields us from the wrath of God. And also allows us to step into his presence. I remember I was on a trip uh, just this week and I was driving like it was pretty late at night with a friend of mine. And I always like, when I, whenever I get with someone, I ask him, do you know what the gospel is? Do you think you're saved? And he's like, honestly, so like, like I, don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I've done enough. And I'm like, what if I drive this car off the bridge? Like, he goes, well, that's very dark. I'm like, well, but are you, are you sure you're saved? And he's like, but I just don't feel I've done enough for Jesus. And I'm like, oh Lord. Obviously, you don't understand how salvation works. And I, I remember what I took. I think it was a cup in the car. And I was like, I showed him this cup. And I, I took something else. I think it was a T-shirt. And I covered it. And I'm like, this is sinful you who deserves the wrath of God. And Jesus comes and covers you completely. That's what happens. The blood of Jesus shields us from the wrath of God. Because the justice and the wrath of God have to be satisfied but also gives us access into the presence of God. Remember that song, take us past the outer courts into the holy of holies. Take, a, take us past the outer courts into your presence, right? Remember exactly how he goes. And he goes by what? By the blood of the lamb. 
That's what Christ has done. He has paid your, your ticket. He has satisfied God's justice. He's given you mercy, but he went above and beyond. He gave you life everlasting. And that is good news to be celebrated. And as we go back to school, as we go back to our jobs, and as we are relaxing the social distancing and all remote working, my hope is that you get pa passionate about the gospel and the good news of Christ. Because this good news has the power to save the entire world. That's what we preach. Pastor Paul says, I, I sort of decided that I want nothing to know among you except Christ and Christ crucified. And I love how he writes to the church of, uh, of Colossians, where the, the church of in, in Colossae, and some scholars say that they actually wrote these two letters together. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 says this, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, by barbarian was Scythian, slave free, but in Christ is all in and all. In Christ, there is no longer who, if you're Moldovian or Belarusian, we're, we're Russian, we're American. In Christ, there's no Jew or Greek. In Christ, there's no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. Do you keep the Old Testament or the New Testament? No, you're a new creature in Christ. In Christ, there's no longer master or slave. Remember that, that um, uh, Christmas song that said, and all oppression shall cease. And uh, I think the previous few lines say that, you know, for our, the slave is our brother. Jesus, in Christ, he's, he's literally changed all of that. He is what I'm trying to say. He's leveled the playing field before the cross. So, so, so the elite, the theologian, the philosopher, the, the, the sort of the guy who's in charge, Paul, now is on the same level as Anisimus, a runaway slave with no rights and not a lot of worth in that society. And he's sticking out his neck for this slave to Philemon. And here's what I'm hoping that you'd understand as you go back to your schools and your jobs and all of that. That you will never look at any person as too far gone. If you look at the dysfunction in the Bible, oh Lord. I mean, I just want to read just some. You probably have heard of this already, but Jacob was a cheater. David had an affair, and then he killed the very husband of the wife he had an affair with. Noah got drunk. A whole weird story about that. Noah ran away from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Martha was a warrior who would not sit down at the feet of Jesus to, to just kind of listen to him. Thomas was a doubter. And if you're in this place and you doubt what Jesus done for you, Thomas shows us that God cares about the doubters too. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. I mean, Elijah was depressed is what I'm trying to say. I mean, after the Super Bowl of spirituality, when God sends fire from heaven, this guy gets depressed. But you just, you just proved every other prophet wrong. Mo Moses stuttered. Zacchaeus was short. Abraham was old. And Lazarus was dead. So if you thought you had an excuse where maybe you're too far gone, where you're maybe too addicted, do realize that there's hope for you. If there's hope for Lazarus, there's hope for you. 
God specializes in broken vessels. God specializes in changing characters. God is a master at changing what people has discarded as useless. God has taken what are the oddballs and then people who, who don't really know what they're doing in life and has made them generals for his kingdom. And here's the next thing that I hope you understand. Before you can run out and preach the gospel, I hope the gospel has touched your life. That you are reconciled to God himself. If your gospel or the, 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 the sermons that you preach is not touching somebody else's life, it's maybe because it hasn't touched yours. Right? You can't lead people where you haven't gone before. In John, 1 John 2.2, and here's, maybe you thought, well, it's not like I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have enough strength. I can't do this. Well, can I tell you that the same Jesus who's given everything for us is advocating on your behalf in front of God. Now, the enemy is always accusing you. The enemy is always tempting you. And he's always shaming you. First John 2, 2 says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so you might not sin. But when anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You have an advocate who not only was stuck in the middle, who took the blunt force of, 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 your, of, of God's wrath for your sin on the cross, but now he's interceding for you. You have hope and help, is what I'm trying to say. And here's something even deeper than that. She's also a high priest. Back in the old days when people would try to shield themselves from the wrath of God, God had, had to have a way to encounter his own people. So in Moses' times, they had the tabernacle where they had the Holy of Holies. And nobody was allowed to go in there except when they had to go through all these rituals of washing you know, their, their feet and, and so on. Like they, and they had to like kill lambs and, and goats. And once a year, they could enter the Holy of Holies. If somebody were to not follow these procedures, they would be killed instantly. And then in the time of David, they built the temple. The same thing applies where there's the Holy of Holies or the Ark of the Covenant is. And nobody was allowed to, to enter the Holy of Holies. And then when Jesus dies on the cross, the very curtain that separated the Holies of Holies from the rest of the temple was split in half, granting you and me access through his blood. That's what Jesus has done for you. And now he is the high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 says this, Since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne grace and that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The advocate and the high priest that is interceding for you knows what you're going through. He's been tempted in every single way like you've been tempted. He knows your pain. He knows your difficulty. Isn't that wonderful news? What's better than having a lawyer advocating your case? A lawyer that went through the same thing and knows the pain and the shame and the difficulty of being a human being. That is the Christ that, that we serve. A friend of mine sent me a whole bunch of 
sermons this morning of a guy just really making a mess of, of, of a sermon. And I'm like, bro, don't, don't get discouraged just because someone makes a mess of God's word. See the beauty of Christ. See the work of the Holy Spirit of the cross. People are going to fail you. Your pastors will fail you. Your leaders. But go to the cross. See the beauty of Christ. See him. Now, the, I love this, this, this passage in the New Testament where, where the disciples are so discouraged. And then one day, God, uh, Jesus takes three of his disciples and the curtain is pulled. And we know it as the transfiguration of Jesus. And they see Jesus for who he truly is. And they see him in his glory. And he's radiating. And their lives are never the same. See the beauty of Christ. Who's advocating for you? If there's one person that can plead my case, knowing that I'm guilty, is Christ Jesus, who's paid the price, who's went above and beyond. So the first thing I told you is I hope that you start seeing the image of God in every single person that you encounter, no matter how far they've gone, and that includes you, because a lot of times we're so quick to preach to others, but it's so hard to preach to ourselves. The second thing I gave you is that I, I hope that you understand that you need to be reconciled to Christ himself. You can't go through life wondering if Jesus loves you or not. He made his, his, his love known for you. There's a song, a secular song. I was at the gym and I was listening to it. It's called Prayer and See. And she keeps on singing about this figure that this figure hasn't been sending letters. And then I'm like, this is not, she's not talking about a boyfriend. She's talking about God. And it dawns on me, I'm like, a secular song. And basically she's mad at God saying, you haven't sent me letters. I'm like, have you read the 66 love letter that he sent you called the Bible? All you have to do is just, just, just read that. He loves you. He cares for you, and he is passionate about you coming and being in his presence. We are told that for those who are in Christ Jesus, things change different. Uh, things are completely different. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are told this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Listen to this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he tells us to be reconciled. And the next thing is, is to become agents of reconciliation and to become ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? Is someone who goes to a different country and their whole goal is not to assimilate to the culture. No, the whole goal is to push the interest of the countries that has sent him. 
A lot of times, we in Christendom, in, in Christianity, we try to assimilate the culture. And trust me, at my church, we did that a lot, more than I wish to admit. But an ambassador is not pursuing to, to kind of be like the culture. No, ambassador is to proclaim the kingdom or the country that he is sent from. I am not from this world. I'm not here to, to embrace culture and be like the culture and be, I'm just a pilgrim. I'm just an ambassador. I'm just passing through. That is what we're called to do. And we're called to become agents and ministers of reconciliation. I love this, this passage. Every single time I read about it, it just almost makes me go to, to tears. In Matthew 9, 35, we see what Jesus is thinking about. And he says, And Jesus went throughout all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus was preaching the gospel, and he was, he was helping and healing and getting, feeding the 5,000. And look at this in verse 36. He says this, When he saw the crowds... When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion in them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in this harvest. Jesus was walking, preaching, being extremely tired. Jesus got tired, you remember? Two natures, he was fully human, fully God. He got tired. And in this, he sees the crowds and he has compassion on them. And he says, because they were helpless and they were harassed. When you see the social media and when you see what's happening in the culture and to see so many people so confused. How can we sit back? How can we sit back and say, well, I'm just going to watch Netflix for the next eight hours. Oh, you know what the problem with our country is? People with no visas here. Really? Because you're siding with Satan in that moment. You're an accuser. The spirit of the living God is an advocate, a mediator. Because the very Lord we serve mediated our relationship with God. And you know what? He received the wrath of, of God, and he, he also received the wrath of people. What did Jesus do wrong that he was crucified? He didn't do one sin. But when you place yourself in the middle, the wrath of both will come to you. Just like me and my brother. Looking back on that story, I'm like, you know, he was punished for my transgressions, right? But seriously, Jesus took on our transgressions. He took on our sins. And he had both coming to him. I'm gonna call to prayer very soon here. But I want to read a few things that I think are so powerful. And one of them is this, in Philippians 3.8. Apostle Paul, who went from the elite of his day to being demoted and being imprisoned, 
to leaving everything behind. Paul, why have you done that? What's the reward here exactly? And he says, you know what? If we're talking about merits, I'm Jewish and Roman and I have the accolades and I have all of this. But in 3a, he says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Lord Jesus. For his sake, I have, su I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. and may share in his suffering, becoming like him and his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Apostle Paul says, you know all my accolades, all my accomplishment, I take and put them at the feet of, of Jesus because I counted them all, all as, as loss. Now starting very soon here, you go back to school and you spend seven years studying for a degree. I hope it serves you well. But I hope you also understand that in light of eternity, all of these things are as rubbish. Now they're useful. You don't go to the store and you're like, I'm just going to pay with love today. You need money. They're useful. But if you're going to spend seven years in school studying to become a doctor or ten years, shouldn't you spend your whole life pursuing something that's eternal? Shouldn't you take seriously your walk with Christ? And my hope is that if you thought you're too far gone, you're not, you're not dead. And even if you're dead, Christ brings from death, will bring you back. It's not us really, it's Christ. Praying for your resurrection if his will. He raised Lazarus out of, the, out of the death, right? That you become a minister of reconciliation and the very gospel that you preached, that you preach touches your life every single day. That you walk in repentance every single day. That you go to the cross every single day. That you see the beauty, the majesty, and then the supremacy of our Lord and Savior. That when we come and worship, we would not wonder about all the things you have to do after, but worship would be about Him and when He is accomplished. And that you take that, the gospel that's changed and transformed your life, and just like you turned Paul out of a murderer into someone who is now pleading for a slave, who is asking his partners in Christ to accept others as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is my hope for you as you go back to school. And here's the thing, here's the rewards here. When you walk in Jesus, you have access to the throne room of God. You have authority. The enemy can no longer har harass you. You're no longer his. When you walk with Christ, we have an inheritance. And because we are born and adopted into the family of God, we're born again and adopted in the family of God, we get to share in his glory. Remember that verse, Christ in us, the hope of glory? That is grace. Coming from sinners, from people who have done wrong to being forgiven, restored, 
and given us and, and have eternal life. That is the beauty of the gospel, and I hope you see it. I hope you carry that. I hope you carry the call. I hope that God raises up in this church evangelists and pastors and godly businessmen and businesswomen, who, who, people who run for government because God knows we are in desperate need of people who are afraid of the Lord to run our local and state and federal governments. I hope that God raises up missionaries and church planters. That is, that is you, you can't claim that God has transformed your life and still be comfortable. I, I am amazed to see what God's doing with, with this event coming up. Have you, have you ever met someone who's in love? They tell everyone. It's annoying. Like it, when, when I hear people talk about Seahawks, like, man, you heard Seahawks. He's been, and like, yeah, but do you love Jesus? Oh, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus. Like, bro, your passion betrays you. Your passion for Seahawks and for your spouse. And you know, having a passion for your spouse and loving your spouse is great. But when we talk about Jesus and you're not excited, you can tell a lot about how people talk about Jesus. You can tell me exactly if the gospel has touched their lives. Has this changed them or not? Thank you for listening to this podcast. My hope is that this message inspired you to live in light of eternity. Please make sure to subscribe and it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review this podcast. If you have an event that you'd like me to speak at, I would love for you to reach out to me via my website. You can also support this ministry via Patreon or the website. Thank you again and God bless.